If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. The Bible reads in verse 3 of chapter 1, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always, pray, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view, of your I'm sorry, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, and you, all, and you all are partakers of the grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and, and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you'll look in chapter 2 and verse 1, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each, one of you regard, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And if you'll turn to chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved I urge Euodia and I urge Simkich to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have, sharp, who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen me and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. The Philippian church was obviously an amazing congregation, one that brought great encouragement to the Apostle Paul, one that showed a congregation of strength. But the one thing that it appears to me that set their, them above other congregations that the Apostle visited was their attitudes. Keith Harrell wrote a book, and he is, if, you're, if you work in a banking or in the financial industry, you may know, have heard of Keith Harrell, wrote a book entitled Attitude is Everything. Keith is a motivational speaker. And talked about how attitude is everything, and that is true. Your attitude is everything. I like to think of it as your attitude is your life. Your attitude defines who you are, who you want to be, where you want to go. Your attitude also can define who you, who you were. 
Your attitude defines the heart. Your attitude is your heart. Attitude is so strong and so it is such a vital part of the body of Christ. And as we together work together to, to build up the body of Christ, to spread the gospel in this area, we need to make sure we have the right attitude, the right frame of mind. The church at Philippi, they were active and diligent in their work for the Lord. Indeed, Philippi is a congregation worth imitating. You know, it's easier to do what is right when you think what's right. In general, attitudes are extremely important. If you will turn me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. The proverbial writer here says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Proper attitudes are needed if we are to enjoy our proper relationships to the local congregation. I'll ask you to, also to turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll be spending a lot of time in the book of Romans this evening. Romans 12 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Tonight I want to talk about four aspects of your attitude. The first of which would be your attitude towards God. In Matthew chapter 22, The Pharisees come to Jesus testing him in verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your, whole, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to suggest to you tonight that the greatest sin that we could commit is not to love God. The greatest sin that we could commit is not to respect God, not to fear God and understand His Word and seek to strive to serve God with all of our hearts. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon said it like this. He said, this, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. Because God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Brothers and sisters, fear of the Lord is not just simply a respect for the Lord. Yes, it does not entangle that definition. But a fear of the Lord is a fear like the Israelites had after they saw the mighty power of God. Like the Egyptians had once the walls came tumbling down, um, once the walls of water of the Red Sea came tumbling down upon them. As those in the day where Uzzah, when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they were doing it in the way that the Lord had not commanded them to do it, and Uzzah reached out to stop it from falling off the cart and the Lord struck him dead. The fear of the Lord is that of which brings us to Ananias and Sapphira and how people were afraid after they lied from holding back the possession. Now, I'm not sitting here to say that we need to always live in fear. I think we can have confidence in the Lord and confidence that we are going to heaven. The Bible even says in, in, the, in the, one of the epistles of John that perfect love casts out fear. And the idea behind that is that perfect love, if there is perfect love, we will have no need for fear because we'll be doing what God wants us to do. And perfect love does cast out fear. However, I am saying that we need to have a respect for God and we need to strive to develop perfect love. We need to have an attitude towards God of faith and trust. If you'll turn me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. 
The Bible says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And verse 6, And without faith is, is, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When you pray for God to heal someone, do you believe? Do you, when you pray for God to be with us and help us grow, do you believe that he'll do that? When you pray and say, Lord, just help me, do you believe that God will do that? God wants us to have faith, have trust in Him. Our attitude towards God needs to be one of such. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through, uh, through Him to God the Father. Our attitude towards God needs to be one of thanksgiving. You know, how many times in your prayers do you hear of us just thanking God for all the things that He's done for us? You know, we have this uh, at the end of every quarter on Wednesday night. I don't think there's a better thing we could be doing than sitting in here and praying to God. I just don't think there's a better thing. When we're all in here together, all praying to God, we're united. And that is the most important thing we could be doing, is sitting there praying to God, united together, offering prayers up to God. That is the most important thing I can think of, that brothers and sisters in Christ could be doing. We don't need to reserve that night just for the end of the quarter. We need to get together on a regular basis and do that. That's something that brothers and sisters should do as their own personal works. Get together with brothers and sisters and just pray. But let me ask you this. How often in your prayers at home and in your prayers with other people and when you're praying with, with your brothers and sisters, do you pray and just say, God, thank you? You know, I don't think it happens as much as we want it to and as much as it should happen. And I think that's one thing. You know, Ralph Walker said it best in his sermons on prayers when he said, sometimes I think we should just shock God. Now think about that. How in the world can you shock God? I, I, sometimes I, I wonder if God could be shocked by us just saying, God, thank you. And not always asking for, for everything that we need and all of this stuff that we, that we need. And, and asking God, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible teaches that we should do that. But we need to be a people, and our attitude needs to be a people of thanksgiving, giving God the glory for everything. Because it's through God that we are anything. The second thing tonight I want to talk to you about is, is our attitudes towards ourselves. If you will turn me back to the book of Romans, I said we'd be spending a good bit of time here, and we will tonight. In Romans chapter 12, and, ver and starting verse 3 again, one of the things that has plagued the church throughout all generations is people's attitudes towards themselves. Now, there are some people that just have a self-inflated view of themselves. They're great. They're so talented, and boy, they'll tell you too. They're humble, and they know it. Brother Bowman talked about the brother who accepted the or the, the man who accepted the award in the business for being a humble person went up and accepted it and they took it away from him for accepting it. That happened. The, the, it amazes me to see brethren in their self-inflated view of yourself. I was talking to a brother probably about four months ago and and uh, I was amazed when we were talking about some issues that had come up and he said, you know, Wiley, I consider myself a pretty humble guy. And I thought to myself, brother, you've got a lot to learn. To sit here and tell me face to face, you consider yourself a humble guy. I was, I was, I was shocked and appalled about that. I, I thought, wow, that is unreal. You know, in the business world, when, 
when I've been uh, working in the branch, I remember my very my second branch manager that I ever had at the bank, and she came in and she was an assistant branch manager. And once she was promoted, she was large and in charge. Boy, and she was the most arrogant woman I think I've ever met. She didn't last very long. She lasted about three months because she could, because she uh, did some things that were unethical. And it was obvious because she just had that desire to win and that desire and the competitiveness got in her life and overruled her life. But, boy, she was large and in charge. How many people do we know like that? How many people do we know that are large and in charge? I know brethren today that think because they're successful in business that they're successful Christians. Because they're successful in business or in their work or in whatever they do, that they're successful leaders and that others are not. That the meek and lowly brother over here who's not as monetarily blessed as they are is not the leader or can't be the leader that they can be because they are successful. Brethren, it ought not be that way. Our attitude towards ourselves needs to be one of humility. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, For through the grace given to me I say to every man, among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to such a measure of faith. You turn over to verse 16, and he says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In Proverbs chapter 3, my favorite verse in the Bible, and I, and I, and I would to God that you all would do as I do and strive to read this every day. I start my day out with Proverbs 20, or Psalm 23, and Proverbs 3 every morning. In verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. For it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Solomon is saying, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Uh, there's so many times in the church and in our attitudes towards ourselves where we're wise in our own eyes. And we don't look to the counsel of the wise. There's two things I've always been taught, and I think are true. And one is this. Be careful who you ask for advice. Make sure the advice and, and the wisdom you ask for is wisdom and is from those who are wise. Therefore, you may not ask for advice very much. However, be willing to always ask for advice. And those are the two things that I've always learned, to, to always be willing to, but to be careful who you get it from. Because we as Christians need to show that attitude of humility, need to show the attitude that we can do, uh, that we can serve God without having a self-employed view of ourselves. Humility includes the willingness to serve to do even the menial tasks as we look in the church. Humility involves us replacing light bulbs, mowing the lawn, things of that nature, that the works that need to be done. If your brother is sick or has a bad back or whatever, has a lawn, go mow it for him. Do something like that. Humility of mind includes the willingness to do even the menial, the menial tasks. In John chapter 13, Jesus exemplifies this. When he says... In verse 12, And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
A slave is not greater than his master, neither one who has sent him greater than the one who sent him. Lawrence Bell once said, Show me a man who cannot bother to do the little things, and I'll show you a man who cannot be trusted to do big things. In the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, we, we understand that concept very well. Said this morning in our Bible class, though, as we look at the parable of talents, we have a man who had five talents. He went out and made five more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful to a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the, the, the two-talent man goes and makes two more talents. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful to a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with one talent. We all know about that. The man with one talent walked in, went and dug and hid his master's money. And of course his master called him wicked and lazy. Wicked and wicky and lazy. Wicked and lazy. Now, brother, I'm here to tell you that I know five talent people that won't use their five talents. I know five talent people who only use two talents. I know two talent people who only use probably half of their two talents. A half of one talent. And I know the one talent man who does gives it his all. He gives it his all, and he does everything he can to serve the Lord with that one talent, and God bless that man. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we have talents, we need to use them for God. We talked also in our Bible class this morning of the uh, attitude sometimes. We were talking about Barnabas and how Barnabas was not a man to sit back. He was not a man to rely on leadership necessarily. He was a man to, that saw a need and that did. Brother Adams pointed that out this morning. I'm glad Edwin's not here tonight because I can say this. But do you, I hope you understand that the preacher is not an employee of the church. That we are required to support him. We are commanded to support him. You know, I was sitting in a business meeting one time and said this this morning, say it for the, for, the, for the point of my point here. I was sitting in a business meeting one time and I was, I was um, listening and we were, the brethren couldn't get along, they were disgruntling, and of course I just sat there and didn't say a word. I was just kind of listening and taking in and letting the wise handle the, handle the situation because I'm not one of those. And uh, the treasurer of all people said, well, why, as the preacher gets up and talks about the, evan- the work of the evangelism and how everybody can help and was trying to pump them up during this time, and the treasurer goes, well, brother, that's what we pay you for. The last I checked in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus offered the Great Commission, and in Mark 16, when Jesus offered the Great Commission, and in so many other places that the Bible says go teach, he did not say, preachers, go teach the gospel. He said, disciples, spoke to the disciples, spoke to the followers. He said, go therefore and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not just the duty of the preachers or the elders. That is the duty of each and every one of us. And if we're going to be faithful Christians and faithful followers of God, we have got to do that. Whether it is inviting brothers and sisters, whether it's inviting our brothers and sisters to our house and hospitality, whether it's inviting those who are lost to to uh, to to come to the church and come to worship with us, so they can be taught, or asking somebody simply, "Would you like to have a Bible study?" That is the job of each and every one of us, brothers and sisters. It is not a job of just the preacher. And humility, or the elders. And humility of mind, humility of attitude, 
will tell us that. Also, when we talk about being humble, we need to realize that God is God and we are not. And that we need God. You know, a lot of times we feel self-sufficient. This society teaches us to be self-sufficient. It teaches us to rely on ourselves, to do things our own way, to do things, to, to not go out and get the advice of wisdom. It tells us to do things our, our way. There's a song that Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley used to sing, I Did It My Way. And I think as I hear that song, and I, I couldn't help but think how that is the wrong attitude to have. We need to do it God's way. And in doing that, we need to realize that God is God and we are not. In our attitudes towards ourselves, we need to be teachable people. In Psalms 25, David says in verse 1, To thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in thee I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Notice there, that's his attitude towards God. Now, here's his attitude towards himself. He says, Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy path. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindness. For they have been from of old, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to thy loving kindness. Remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to be like David, a man after God's own heart, to ask the Lord teach us. Teachability includes an eagerness to learn and grow. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 10, the church of Thessalonica was a vibrant church, a very good church. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about how he loves their, their work that they've done, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope, and their work of faith. And in chapter 3, he talks, in chapter 2, he talks about how they overcame adversity in 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 3, he talks about how Timothy, he sent Timothy to come to check on him. And, and to be honest, he was, he was coming from Corinth. They were dealing with a lot of adversity, and he was probably expecting the church of Thessalonica not to be doing too well. But the church of Thessalonica was doing great, and they continued steadfastly in the work of the Lord. And in chapter 4 and verse 10, he tells them to excel still the more. The ability to learn from correction, to profit from advice and criticism is something that we need all. The old as well as the young need a teachable attitude. Elton Trueblood once said education is too good to limit to the young. Honest, honesty is another thing we need in attitudes towards ourselves, willingness to admit mistakes and correct them. That's something that is hard to do, but it's something that we need. Those in our attitudes towards our brethren. Our attitudes towards our brethren need to be an attitude of love in Romans 13 and verse 8. In 1 Peter 2 and 17, and obviously in the epistles of John and 1 John, it talks about loving your brother. Cooperation, that involves a cooperation and a willingness to work together. We need to be able not to only work, but to work together. Andrew Carnegie said it marks a big step in a man's development when he comes to realize that other men can be called on to help him do a better job than he can do alone. We need each other. 
We need to appreciate the work for each other and our attitude towards our brethren. True appreciation for others will eliminate the destructive criticism, gossip, and fictitiousness that exists in our brethren sometimes. We need to be submissive to our leaders and submissive to our elders. In Hebrews 13 and verse 17, we need to know when to be peaceable. We need to be a peaceable person, hospitable, courteous, warm, warm, friendly, open, gentle, meek, forgiving, patient, and long-suffering. We need all of those things in our attitudes towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, we need to examine our attitudes towards our work here together. What is your attitude when we worship God together? What is your attitude when we come to a singing and we sing songs of praise? What is your attitude towards coming on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights in our meetings and our singing? Is it an attitude of, oh, I don't have to come? Is it an attitude of, oh, well, um, you know, I guess I need to come? Or is it an attitude of, I want to come, I want to be there, I want to worship God, and I want to be there with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it an attitude of enthusiasm and eagerness? I have never been to a dull worship service. Now, I've been to a few gatherings where I wouldn't call them worship. That's been pretty dull. But when we come to worship, we put our whole heart and soul into it. When we hear sermons that everyone preaches on, and I'm just thinking of the one on the contribution, and, and I would say that I am very impressed with how we have responded to Edwin's sermon on the contribution. But when we hear sermons like that, do we go home and examine our checkbook and how we're spending our money and see where we can give more money to the Lord? Not if we can give more money to the Lord, where we can give more money to the Lord. It's a big difference. A big difference. We have a need here and a work to do here. And when you hear sermons that Edwin preaches or whoever fills this pulpit preaches, how do you respond to those sermons? Do you take initiative? Obviously, in the parable of talents, it talked about the parable of the man with the five and two talents being men that took initiative, men that were self-starters and that were motivated people that were ready to, uh, that were ready to render service to their masters. God measures success not in units of silver, but in units of service. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to produce as many units of service as we can to get to heaven. And we need to be positive in doing that. The chronic complainer and the negative thinker are obstructions to the work of the congregation. That happens often. It's good to remember that people are often down on what they are not up to. So what we have to do is motivate our brothers and sisters and spend time with our brothers and sisters and help them and help motivate them, and we need to be persistent in doing that. We need not just initiative, we need finitiative to finish the job at hand. Ideal attitudes make for ideal working conditions among members of a local congregation. This, this evening I want to ask you, what's your attitude like? What has your attitude been towards God and God's people and our work here together? You know, I hope and I pray that each and every one of you here strive your hardest to serve God and teach the lost. Because that's what we're here for. You know, it's important to provide for yourself and for your family. 
but it's more important to provide for yourself and your family and those that you're surrounded with every day with Jesus Christ. And I hope and I pray tonight that you'll do just that. If you're here tonight and you're not a, you're not a Christian, the Bible says in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Acts 2.38 on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Repent, therefore, and let each of you be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come do that tonight. If you're here and you're a child of God and you've fallen from grace, God's graces, if you haven't lived the life that you should have lived, or if you haven't done what you need to do in the way of teaching the gospel, then I would ask that you please come forward tonight and make that right. With God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll pray with you and pray for you that God will forgive you. And we know that He'll do it. He will do it. Because He promised us He would. And I have faith, brothers, that He will do what He says He's going to do. So if you're subject to the invitation anyway, please come as we stand and sing the song.